1208. Jeff Wagner, there, WTMJ. So, Eric, you, you don't follow soccer at all, right? No. Okay. Really. Well, the reason I bring this up is one of the big storylines today, and it is, it, it is an event that's being watched worldwide, although I'm not sure how much attention is being paid in the U.S., it isn't necessarily going to be on the score, but it's going to be on the body count. But what happens is, in, in Europe, they have each country has, has soccer leagues, right? And then at the end of every year, the top, depending on what country it is, the top two, three, four teams in the league qualify for something that's called the, the Champions Club, okay. the Champions League. And, and they, they have like a tournament that runs throughout the whole year. And it's, it's kind of like it leads up to the Champions League final, which is like the Super Bowl on steroids. Sure, okay. I mean, and a ton of money is involved in that. Well, now it's, it's winding down. And, and the way it works is when it gets to the semifinals, the two teams play a home and a home thing. And then it's like the total number of games, of goals scored between them. So, um, yesterday, one of the teams, um, a team, Real Madrid qualified. And today is the second game between Roma and Liverpool. Now, I happen to be a Liverpool fan. Okay, so, right. I'm watching this. But Liverpool won the first leg last week. They won five to two. So they're way ahead. So they're going to Rome to play. The issue is, though, um, in Rome, Apparently, Rome is notorious for being one of the most dangerous places to go to soccer games. The the what the Rome Roma fans do is apparently they bring knives and they they carry knives around and they stab other teams' oh my fans. Gosh. Um, it, it's a common thing to like stab them in the rear end with knives, oh. and it, it's just this is the big story. And, and again, it's a, this huge concern because. Liverpool's ahead five to two, and not too many unless Liverpool completely and totally craters. They should be. You know, they're they're right, going to yeah, win. Yeah. Okay. So what the concern is, you have all these violent armed uh, people who are going to be ugly because their team is going to lose. Yeah. And there's all this concern, like in the worldwide press, that people are going to be pulling out knives and folks are going to get stabbed and beaten. It's just that everybody's worried that that's going to be the story about people being killed at this soccer game in Roma. So, um, what year is it? Well, it, it, My it's goodness. just, I mean, and this is, it's and the, the game starts at one thirty our time. So I'm kind of like watching it out of the corner of my eye once it starts, but it really, that, that's the thing. People, I mean, they carry knives and switchblades and stuff and they bring them into the stadium. Mm-hmm. And so this is, this is the big, see, Gru is not in his head. You, yeah, right. It's the hooliganism. Yeah. It's just, yeah. So, I mean, Okay, you go to the you go to the Brewers Cubs game and somebody throws up on you or throws a beer or something. It's they're carrying knives into these things, you know. Wow. Um, wow. wow. So that's the Champions League. That's what's going to be going on. And and again, you know, we're going to be paying attention to the final game between the Brewers and the Reds and all that stuff. But um, most of the world is going to be watching this soccer game today because it is a big. Big deal. Well, now I can't miss it, just in case something oh, oh, wonderful happens oh, oh, off the field. Well, and that, again, that's I, I was listening. This is like me desperately in need of a life, I guess. I was actually <laughs> listening to the soccer channels. I was coming in today on Sirius XM, and they're and that's what they're talking about. It, it's all they're they're worried that if the game, if Liverpool, for example, scores a goal early, making no hope for the other team to catch up. I mean, they're just worried that this is going to turn into a bloodbath in this stadium. Yes. Uh, it's. What can you say? Ooh, I see. Good luck. I tell you, good luck with that. All right, we start off today's show. Oh, we have, let me just say this at the beginning. We have an extremely eclectic 
show today. We're going to be dealing in the world of politics, but a lot, we're going to get a lot, of, a lot of local stories and a lot of stories that I just find interesting. This has been one of those days that since the show kind of came together a few hours ago, I, went, I just can't wait to get on the air. To that end, it is, I think, one of the best and most effective political ads I have seen in a long time. It is extremely controversial, however, and we're going to talk about it in just a few minutes. If you want to see it, you can, it's only 30 seconds. You can text me the word GUN, G-U-N, to 414-799-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line, and I will send you this political ad, which is being run in a congressional race in Georgia and has a lot of people upset. So if you text me the word GUN, again, it's a 30-second political ad. I'll send you a link to the story, and you can see the ad yourself. Let's start off, though, with an example of political, well, some people would say it's insensitivity. Other people would say it's political correctness run amok. But it's an example of where somebody is not caving into this. Now, we, we've touched on this once or twice before, but it's kind of back in the news again. Um, the Simpsons TV show on Fox, it's in its 29th year, longest running TV show ever. Um, the Simpsons, um, <laughs> If you have watched it over the years, it is a show that is built on stereotypes. You've got Homer, you know, the the father, who is the stereotypical, lazy, bad father. You've got the comic book guy character, who is the sort of stereotypical, unkempt nerd who runs like the comic book store. You've got Chief Wiggum who is the stereotypical, overweight, donut-gobbling police officer. And it goes on and on and on. It is built on stereotypes. One of the stereotypical characters is the character Apu, who is, um, again, he's the guy from, I don't know, India or wherever, who, thick accent, he runs the Quickie Mart. And admittedly, Apu is the stereotype of someone who would come in from, for example, India and run the convenience store. It is a stereotypical character. Well, um, Apu has generated all sorts of controversy because, you know, there's this comedian who was uh, uh, offended by this and wrote this piece about how, you know, it, it's uh, Apu needs to change and, you know, it's objectionable and all those type of things. And the, the Simpsons creator was at an event the other day, you know, and he responded to it. People said, well, you know, what, what do you think? You know, how do you respond to this? Um, do you have any thoughts on the criticism of, of, of Apu as a stereotype? And the, this is what the cre- uh, creator, Matt Groening, said. Not really. I'm proud of what we do on the show. And I think it's a time in our culture where people love to pretend that they're offended. Not really. I'm proud of what we do on the show, and I think it's time in our culture where people love to pretend they're offended. In other words, go away. Yeah, Yes, the show is built on stereotypes, and yes, Apu is a stereotype, just like maybe Bart Simpson is a stereotype, just like Chief Wiggum is a stereotype, just like three-quarters of the characters, the next-door neighbor, Ned Flanders, who is the stereotype of the conservative Christian. All right, those are the stereotypes, and he says, and he's essentially saying, you know, people like to pretend that they're offended, and no, I, I have no intention of changing. 
right? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. In 2018, is this grossly insensitive to the concerns of people who might be offended by this particular character and the fact that it is, of course, a stereotype? Or is it a recognition of the fact that maybe we collectively are losing our senses of humor and that people... Well, just can't laugh anymore at anything. 414-799-1620. All right, is it time for Apu to go? If you're a fan of The Simpsons, I am very curious, very clear that the creator is not buying into any of this. 414-799-1620. Is he being, well, is, is this just politically, is, is it a refusal to give in to political correctness? Or is it just this insensitivity, and just because the character's been around for almost 30 years, does that mean it should still continue? 414-799-1620. If you're a Simpsons fan, I would love to hear from you. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 1217. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Well, what am I supposed to do? It's hard to say. Something that started decades ago and was applauded and inoffensive is now politically incorrect. What can you do? Some things will be dealt with at a later date. If at all. That's, of course, the way the Simpsons responded to this controversy. What can you do? Something that was started decades ago and was applauded and inoffensive is now politically incorrect. That's how they're responding to it. That's how the creator is responding to it. Um, some of the folks that are upset about Apu continue to be upset about Apu. 414 Twenty. Let's talk to. Uh, let's start with Paul in Reedsville. Paul, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey Jeff. Um, these people complaining are going to ruin. You know, if they would follow, they would ruin the show because, like you said, it's built on stereotypes, and without it, then they just become another bland TV show that'll fall by the wayside. Well, well, well right. I mean, okay, so why are we offended about Apu and not offended about the comic book guy or Ned Flanders or you know Chief Wiggum oh, or Homer? You know, we go on and on and on. The answer to that. Yeah. White. Well, right. Or, or it's right. It, it's, it's not one of these sort of protected classes. There's some exactly. people you can make white. fun of. Right. Well, or, or Christian. You pot shots at if you're a different color, all of a sudden it has become uncon- um, unfair to take pot shots and politically incorrect. Well, that's, I mean, right. Or, or and again, it, it's, okay, you've got this. I, I go back to Ned Flanders because let's take, let's take the, the race issue out of it. It's, you go back to the Ned Flanders character who is the conservative Christian. All right, he's the butt of continuing jokes. I mean, is the ultimate stereotype. And, and yet, you know, are, do, do we have, you know, the evangelical Christians that are complaining about that? No, I mean, sometimes you do have to be able to laugh at yourself. And I think, you know, one of the things, and I think it's, it's one of the things about the, the Simpsons that has, led to their longevity is unlike say the commentary offered by that comedian michelle wolf at that dinner last week um the simpsons even though dealing with caricatures it's not mean-spirited and i I think that's one of the reasons that they have been able to you know survive for so very long i mean let's take the character of apu i think that character is one of the most beloved characters probably on that show so yes is it stereotypical yeah but it's again it is not a mean-spirited thing which is the reason for their success let's talk to uh paul in illinois paul you're on wtmj hello yeah hi jeff thanks for taking my sure no to bow to the political uh, you know correctness would change the whole dynamic i take a look at an era where we could laugh at each other with each other and it produced shows like 
all in the family. The yep. Jefferson, Sanford and Son, Maud, they're still on every single day, and I enjoy catching them all over again. Right, yeah, I mean, you you got a couple great examples there. The Norman Lear shows, Maud with B. Arthur, All in the Family with Carol O'Connor, those were shows that were built around stereotypes. The Archie Bunker character, the Rob Reiner, the Mike Stivick, the, the liberal son-in-law character, Maud being the militant liberal. They were built around stereotypes, and we were able to laugh because we saw it was a stereotype. And Archie's chair is in the Smithsonian in the same room as the Ruby Sippler. <laughs> and Kermit the Frog. <laughs> yeah, it's, we all know that it was work of art. We all know what it was. Right. We enjoyed it. Well, well exactly. And, and we took it for what it was. No, no, no thanks for calling. And again, I think, um, I, I think I also go back to the stuff that the, the fact that this is not a mean-spirited sort of thing. Now, you you can have stereotypes, and you can do this in this fashion that's mean-spirited, but I tell you, if The Simpsons were like that, it would not have lasted 29 years. I think this is exactly right. It's kind of like, look, everybody needs to relax about this type of stuff and kind of laugh with it, just like we're going to laugh with the description. I mean, I'm, I'm sure there's some police officers out there who don't like the fact that, okay, the Chief Wiggum character is the lazy, dumb guy that's doing nothing but eating donuts but okay they're able to smile at it they say okay that's not true we know it's the stereotype but haha we'll laugh at it as well steve in pleasant prairie steve you're on wtmj hello hi i think first of all i think it is ridiculous political correctness and i find it rather ironic that it was a comedian who was offended by this yeah (laughs) Uh, especially in light of this weekend when the liberal comedians are defending michelle wolf uh, saying, you know, lighten up, it's just comedy, that's her job. Right. So I find it rather ironic it was a comedian who was offended. Well, you know, and, and to your point, Steve, you're exactly right that the comedy community has kind of rallied around that, that mean-spirited presentation, that mean-spirited series of, of jokes that she used. And I, I, I thought that was kind of interesting, too, because if she had done the equivalent types of jokes, oh, against people in the Obama administration, for example – I'm not so sure that I think that the the Hollywood left would have been quite as um quite as and quite as much of a hurry to sort of applaud her. Yeah, you think? No, exactly. Thanks. Now, now having said that, I mean, I, I mean, to me, that that whole thing with Michelle Wolf was again the bigger issue. The, the White House Correspondents' Dinner. If you are going to hire a mean spirited, hard left comedian. Um, you know, I guess you shouldn't be surprised at, at what you end up getting. And so to me, it, it says, I guess, more about the organization that made the decision to think somebody like her would be appropriate for that type of event than it does necessarily about her because she is what she is. In any event, I am glad to see the creator of The Simpsons does not appear to be backing down. All right. When we come back, I think it is the best political ad I've seen in a long time. I'm going to play it for you, and then we are going to discuss, because a lot of people in the world of political correctness are incredibly offended. If you want to see a link to it, 414-799-1620, text me the word gun, and I will send it to you. That will give you a hint as to what it's all about. Back with more in just a minute, 1226. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1228, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Okay, before the news, I want to play the commercial. Let me set the stage. There is a guy um, who is running. His name is Brian Kemp. Um, He is the Secretary of State in Georgia. 
He is running to be the governor. He is a Republican. He has come out with an ad. The ad features him sitting in what appears to be his living room. He is casually dressed. There is what appears to be a teenage boy sitting next to him. The boy's name is Jake. That's the character's name. Um, the candidate has a, a shotgun, a double-barreled shotgun in his lap, and he appears to be cleaning it. Okay, that's that's the background. They're in the den. There's the candidate. There's this teenage boy. They're sitting next to each other. And the guy's got the, the gun, and he appears to be cleaning it. Here is the, the audio of the ad. I'm Brian Kemp. This is Jake, young man interested in one of my daughters. Yes, sir. Jake asked why I was running for governor. I said, one. Cap government spending. Two. Take a chainsaw to regulations. Three. Make Georgia number one for small business. And two things if you're going to date one of my daughters. Respect. And? A healthy appreciation for the Second Amendment, sir. We're going to get along just fine. Brian Kemp for governor. Okay, now that click you hear at the end is him, um, I, I mean, putting the, the shotgun together. The shotgun is like open, and then he closes it. That's the click that you hear, and the gun is sort of pointed in the direction of, of the kid, but it's in, in his lap. So that's it. He uses the He uses the character Jake, dating my daughter, all that stuff. The response... I will tell you, some people have lost their mind to this ad. The response, apparently people are calling up and complaining. This commercial, quote, invites violence against unarmed people and somehow justifies using firearms in a totally unwarranted fashion. Um, let's see. Another person says, I believe in the Second Amendment. This commercial makes me want to vote for the other side. Outrage, outrage is going on and on and on. Here's someone else. Um, um, I, I hate this. They treat guns like toys. They don't abide by the two fundamental rules of gun safety, treating all guns as they are loaded. Never point a gun at something. All right, so you've got all these people who are absolutely outraged. Here's another one. What the heck is wrong with you, Brian Kemp? Um, as veterans, many of us have had to fire a weapon at another person. It is no joke, nor is the idea of you shooting a high school kid, especially now, yet you joke about both. Take this garbage off the air from the Huffington Post. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is this an incredibly insensitive ad? Should this guy, I don't know, be hung from the yardarm for not appreciating the seriousness of firearm violence and being insensitive to, I don't know, school shootings and things like that? Or is this just a clever ad that makes his point in a humorous fashion? 1236, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. The Brewers and the Reds get set to wrap up their series from the Queen City. That was a good game last evening. Jeff and Lane are on the call for the finale. Our coverage starts 535 tonight. Okay, if you're just tuning in, this is the ad. It's a guy who is running. He's the Secretary of State in Georgia. He's running to be governor. This is an ad. It features him sitting in what appears to be like his living room. There is a young man. This is like a, I, I'm sure it's an actor, but it's, it's a teenage, looks like a teenage guy sitting next to him. That he, being the candidate, has a shotgun in his lap and he, he's cleaning it. Um, my guess is this is a scene that happens all the time in, in Georgia. And here, how here is the audio once again of that ad. I'm Brian Kemp. This is Jake, young man interested in one of my daughters. 
Yes, sir. Jake asked why I was running for governor. I said one. Cap government spending. Two. Take a chainsaw to regulations. Three. Make Georgia number one for small business. And two things if you're going to date one of my daughters. Respect. And? A healthy appreciation for the Second Amendment, sir. We're going to get along just fine. Brian Kemp for governor. And that click you hear is him closing the shotgun. That, 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 that's it. All right. This ad has sparred, spurred all sorts of controversy. People calling up the Atlanta TV station demanding that the network stop showing the commercial. People saying, holy cow, are we in the Wild West and propagating a gun culture? We are gun owners and we are outraged. 414-799-1620. I think it is a great ad. I think it's funny. That is to people who still have a sense of humor, and I'm not sure there's too many of those people around anymore. Number two, I don't believe it propagates a gun culture or violence. It is a play on the the age-old joke of, hey, you want to date my daughter? You know, that's that's what this is, and yet it also incorporates a number of the things that he stands for. I think this is a great ad, 414-799-1620. Let's start with Dave and Racine. Dave, you're first. Hello. Greetings and salutations. Yeah, uh, uh, not only have I, you know, I, I didn't part, uh, be the participant, the, uh, but I participated in one of these little interrogations. Dad sitting on the chair with his shotgun, <laughs> cleaning yeah. it. Uh, one, one big brother on the, uh, of the, of the deity and the, uh, other big brother, me, sitting, uh, peppering the kid with questions while a, a 80 pound German short hair pointer is sitting staring <laughs> at the guy. I mean, you know. Yeah. Been there, done that, got the t-shirt. Right, exactly. It's, I mean, that, that, that's it. It, it is a play on, I, I don't know, something that's typical here. And it, it's not like he says, I'm gonna, you know, blow the kid's head off. And, and I mean, some of the people, it's like, oh, this is just, you know, this, look, it's, it's poor gun safety because, you know, you, you, he sort of, I mean, he hasn't pointed at the kid. It's, it's just, it's on his lap. And so it's pointing in the direction of the kid. Oh, this is just terrible. Oh, it's a joke. It is a joke um, for people, like I say, who have a sense of humor. And unfortunately, there's not enough of us left anymore. 414-799-1620. Kathy and Franklin. Kathy, you're on WTMJ. Hi, how are you doing? I'm good, Kathy. What do you think? Good. I'm calling about the commercial because I think these people need to get a life. I mean, give me a break. Cartoons are more violent. Right. Uh, the movies are more violent. And I mean, this was a joke, and it was funny, and I liked it. Yeah. Well, you know, and my I mean, my guess is, you know, if we were to poll people in Georgia, my guess is that pretty much every gal out there has a father who's probably done something exactly like this. <laughs> you know, oh, you're going to bring exactly. your young man over? Fine. Here, what are my what are your intentions towards my daughter? And in this case, they're able to kind of wrap it into what the guy stands for. I mean, that that's what makes it it funny. You have to have the context, and of course, Kathy. You have to have a sense of humor, and unfortunately, a lot of people don't have a sense of humor anymore. Right, and it's all political correctness, and it's just junk. Well, it if is. You right. Watch any of the shows from the '60s; they did that all the time. Well, <laughs> exactly. No, right. They, exactly. I mean, it's it's like okay, all right, and, and it, it, it's again, he's trying to make this point in a way that people can relate to. 
That's what makes a good ad. And my guess is, other than the handful of whiners who watch this and go, oh my gosh, this is, he's, you know, he's support. Doesn't he realize what just happened in Parkland? And he's really, he's showing a gun around a teenager. Hey, my guess is most teenagers in Georgia probably have their own shotguns too that they're out there used to hunting with. Um, Ann in Cudahy. Ann, you're on WTMJ. Hi. Hi, Ann. I watched that ad this morning and I thought it was cool. I thought it was funny. And then I listened to it just now because I don't, uh, you, you just, right. repl- you, you described it so neatly. I just laughed. Yeah. And my thoughts are, hey, all those people calling in, they probably won't even vote anyhow. Well, or they weren't going to vote for this guy anyways. That's, you know, <laughs> well, they probably won't even vote. Yeah. You know, it, I guess it's just, it is unfortunate to me that we, we now, we have this culture where somebody, it seems like on a daily basis, somebody is going to be offended about something. You know, it's these people, I call them the perpetually, the politically correct and the perpetually offended, who like wake up every day looking to find, you know, uh, somebody to knock the chip off their shoulder. And in this case, it just happens to be this ad. And he was funny. It, it, it is, if, you, if anybody sees that ad, you really have to enjoy it. And, <laughs> and, and I think you can relate to it. Well, I think, yeah, thanks. And my guess is there's, like I say, a, a lot of people in Georgia can probably relate to that. My guess is there's lots of husbands and wives who are sitting there saying, geez, that's exactly what happened. Remember when I went over to your dad's house, he was sitting there, and, and like our first caller Dave was saying, and it wasn't just the shotgun that he was cleaning. There was the two brothers, and it was the Doberman that you know um, positioned itself very close to my legs and was kind of growling at my crotch. That's, that's all. You just know that they can all relate to this. Susie sends me a note. OMG, I believe this is just takeoff on how a lot of fathers feel when it comes to their daughters, not just in the South. People have to get back their senses of humor. This is age-old funny. Yeah, it it is. It is age-old funny, but of course, we can't see that anymore. We have to just be obsessed with all this other stuff. Oh, he's minimizing the seriousness of gun crimes. Uh, let's see. Uh, Brian says, being a Democrat, I love it. Great for undecided voters. No, I think, see, that's what I think is one of the, the things that's really out there. I mean, I think this is something that resonates uh, and resonates with a lot of people. Let's talk to Mike in Madison. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi. I Hi. think you're spot on that this is all funny, and people have lost their sense of humor because of political correctness. And and the people that are calling in and or sent, sending messages on the uh, internet that say they're NRA member or gun member and are offended, they're lying. Yeah, I don't. I mean, some people are saying, well, um, well, it's it's like it, he he's not showing proper gun safety. Okay, it's it's on a set. It's a joke for goodness sakes. Exactly. I mean, it's you know, it, it's not a teaching class. No, thanks. I, we're getting flooded with. Um, we are getting flooded with uh, texts. I am ambivalent when it comes to the gun conversation, and I can confidently say I can't stop laughing at this commercial. Yeah, another one. Loved it. Thought this got his message out with humor. Absolutely. Um, another one. Remember the Seinfeld episode where Newman was with the farmer's daughter? The farmer shot at him. I love the ad. Yeah, that's the that's the thing. You, again, you have to be willing to laugh at these different types of things. And, and again, it's, it all ties into what we were talking about the last half hour of the show, that these whole ideas of stereotypes and things like that. I tell you, I think this is 
um, one of the best ads around. Uh, the, the TV stations in Atlanta, well, well, we can't, you know, if the First Amendment allows people to run, you know, any sort of ad they want, so we can't take it off the air. No, they, they can't. But the real response should be to the whiners who complain about this, look, get a life for the love of God. Get a life. All right, it is 1245. When we come back, what if President Trump were to use the nuclear option when it comes to Robert Mueller? We'll discuss. It's 1245. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1248, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. A suburban high school student sues her district for a suspension she claims never should have happened. John McCure shares the story at 420 on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. That is on my plate as well. Um, we might get to that as well. It's an interesting story out of um, Arrowhead. Uh, my take on it might be a little bit different than you might expect, but uh, we'll see if we get to it. John will definitely be talking about it at 420 this afternoon. All right, big story number three. Um, it, it appears that... Robert Mueller, the special counsel, wants very badly to interview President Trump. I have said this before. If if President Trump were my client, grew if you were my client, I would not let you sit for an interview. I, I, I wouldn't because you never know. You have no idea what a prosecutor is directly looking for. And um, as we have seen repeatedly in the past, um, even I think small inconsistencies, you get a fact wrong in a response, and that can lead to you being charged with lying to the government. So I will just tell you, if if you were to come to me and say, Jeff, I want you to represent me, I, I've got um, you, I, I, I don't know what they're looking at, I didn't do anything, but I might be the subject of a grand jury investigation, my response would be, well, okay, we're, we're not going to cooperate with it, and if they can prove that you did something, let them bring, bring charges. But I just would not... I don't think any responsible lawyer would let a client go into an interview open-ended. You just would not do that. Um, so what happens if you're subpoenaed? Well, the response would be, I said, well, you know, without a grant of immunity, you're not talking, and I would tell you to take the fifth. That's, that's how I think most attorneys would advise clients to handle situations like that. Now, it is a little bit interesting because the question becomes, can Robert Mueller, the special counsel, compel Donald Trump to testify? And the answer is no, but. By, by that I mean Donald Trump does not have to sit down and do an interview with Robert Mueller. He, he, he just doesn't. You, know, you, don't, you don't have an obligation to do an interview. Um, the question becomes, if Mueller were to issue a grand jury subpoena to the president, would he have to honor it? This is a tougher question. Um, back in 1974, the Supreme Court, uh, there was a subpoena that was issued to then-President Nixon um, asking him to turn over documents. It wasn't a subpoena for testimony. It was a subpoena for documents. And the Supreme Court said, yes, you have to turn over documents. That may or may not be different than having to appear in front of a grand jury. Um, in the Bill Clinton case, in the civil case, Paula Jones, uh, there was a, a subpoena that was issued to Bill Clinton. Ultimately, what ended up happening is, is he agreed to voluntarily make statements. That, of course, was not – that wasn't a criminal case. My, my belief is that if Mueller were to issue a criminal grand jury subpoena to Trump – 
I think ultimately Trump would probably it, it, there would be a long fight. There there would be a fight that would last several months and end up in the Supreme Court. My sense is the subpoena would probably be upheld. So that means that the president would have to go and appear before a grand jury. That being said, he, he can't be required to answer. And, and my advice, if I was the lawyer, I would say, look, unless you have a grant of immunity, you have no idea what fishing expedition this guy is on. And a lot of people inadvertently can get caught up in nets. And I would say, you know, you just say that you're not going to answer any question um, and assert your Fifth Amendment rights. At that point in time, the prosecutor has two choices, either to let the person go um, or to immunize them, seek an immunity order, and then if you can't be prosecuted for anything you say, that's a different sort of standard. But um, obviously Mueller would love to talk to the president. I don't think any lawyer is going to allow him to do that, but that's where we kind of stand now. Bottom line is none of this stuff is good for the country. It's just not. Uh, Ron Johnson, Senator Johnson, was on uh, with Steve Scafidi earlier today, and he's saying, look, we're, we're, we've got deficit issues. We've got the stuff with North Korea. We, we have to get past all this stuff one way or the other because it is a distraction. And I understand that the people who hate Trump are saying, put him in jail, and the people who love President Trump are saying it's a witch hunt. Um, I see the potential for this, um, especially if Robert Mueller decides he wants to push this. There is the potential that this could go on for several months more particularly if he decides he is going to issue a a subpoena to try to compel testimony, which will provoke a a, a legal battle. One way to circumvent all this, one way to put an end to this whole thing, is for President Trump to come out tomorrow and say he's going to pardon himself. Now, I, I understand that there might be some people who say presidents can't pardon themselves. I don't think that's true either. Just like I think the Supreme Court um, would say that he would have to respond to a grand jury subpoena. I think the Supreme Court also is going to, this is a separation of powers issue, I think the president has the authority to issue a pardon to himself. That is what I would describe as the nuclear option. If President Trump were to do that, what would be the fallout? Would that lead to outrage? Would it lead to impeachment or would it simply, especially among President Trump supporters, be a reaction that, hey, this was a witch hunt, this was not good for the country, they were off on this fishing expedition, this is what we needed to do to get past this. 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If the president were to pardon himself tomorrow, essentially putting an end to this investigation, and by the way, you can pardon someone um, who, who hasn't been charged with crimes, you can pardon them for pretty much anything. You know, would there be a huge blowback, or is this something that Donald Trump should consider? 414-799-1620, how would you react if he issued a pardon to himself? We discuss next. It's 1255. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. I, I actually think as if Robert Mueller is going to push the whole idea of trying to compel the president to testify in front of a grand jury, that then is going to bring this whole dialogue and this whole discussion about a presidential pardon for the president into play. Now, again, nobody knows the answer for sure because no court has ever ruled on it. No president has ever done it before. But we do live in interesting times. I think it is definitely something that may be on the table if 
if Mueller were to take what I think would be a pretty unprecedented, an unprecedented step of trying to compel the president to appear before a federal grand jury. I, I think I think if Mueller needs to try to figure out a way to trap the president into making an inconsistent statement, well, then what he should do is he should just close up shop and go home. If he has evidence sufficient to bring charges of collusion or obstruction of justice or whatever based on the evidence he has independent of President Trump's comments, then fine, bring it. But if you've got to depend on relying or on the president to say something to give you the basis for it, I think at that point in time, it's pretty clear that you don't have the goods and it's time to close up shop. If he doesn't, there is always the issue of a pardon. It's 1259. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 109. This is Jeff Wagner. So, Gru, who's producing the show today and always. You know who really swings like like the big axes around here? Okay, it's it's not guys like me who have our picture up on the wall in the radio show. No, it's guys like Bill Stack here because they're the ones, well, and, and, you know, just to give you like a, a peek behind the curtain here at, at uh, Radio City. I mean, it's guys like Eric Bilstadt that have their own offices. I, I mean, for 20 years, I've got a, I've got a, I've got a pod. I mean, it, it's me, it's McCure, it's Gene Miller. We, we've got pods. I mean, I've got, a, I've got a desk and I've got these like little kind of dividers that are there. I mean, I, I've got, I've got a pod. Now, I, I do have, I can kind of see outside. I, I've, I'm kind of close to a window, but you know, 20 years, name on the, you know, name on the marquee. I, I, I've got a pod. Eric, you got a you got an office. I, I do mean, have an office. Okay, all right. Now, no all right. window though. No window. No, but you but you've got an office and desk and chairs and all sorts. All right. Now this is there is a, I'm going somewhere with this other than just kind of venting that you you know <laughs> he's he's one of the suits. He's one of the management guys. Us flunkies. You know mm-hmm. we just we just have our we have our chair and our little pod and things like that. Okay. Now let us say. Eric, that um, instead of getting to, you know, you decided for whatever reason that you wanted to give up the, this the suburban mansion that you have now. <laughs> okay. And, and it, instead of like going home every evening to the suburban mansion, you decided that you wanted to just live in that glorious office that you had. Hmm. Yeah. You know, okay. or or better yet, let's say um, that your your wife got transferred. To, let's say Chicago. All right. And so she took the kids, moved down to Chicago, and, and that's where your principal residence was. Do you, would you have any qualms about, so you're up here during the week, instead of renting a hotel room or having an apartment, what would you think, would you ever think about sleeping in your office? No. No, now I have had to before because of weather and breaking news and stuff right, like that. Yeah. But never, no, no, I would, you would not, not live in your yeah, office. <laughs> I would not make it my studio. Right, apartment. even uh, you, you come up on Monday and then you kind of stay till Thursday and go home. You would not. You would not. Do I that. am not a congressman. Uh, well, that's where I'm kind of going with with this. Do you think um, the folks at Scripps? You know who are? It's a wonderful company to work for. It, it is. Yeah. Do you think that they would have an issue? Do you think? You think that the, there's not too many people that are higher than you on the ladder here, but do you think that maybe one of those people might come in and say, Eric, you can't, you can't live in your office? I know that would happen, yes. You know that would happen. Yes. Okay, all right. Well, thank you for being the object lesson here. <laughs> all right. Now, there is a reason that I bring – now, of course, if you're me, you wouldn't even have an opportunity to do that because what am I supposed to do? Like get a sleeping bag and curl up under my desk or something like that, and then people come by late at night and they're kind of bumping into you with the vacuum cleaner and stuff? No, I mean, I couldn't do that. But, yes, if you're somebody like Mr. Bilstadt, you know, maybe you could get the office. 
I bring this up because there is a controversy involving members of Congress. They estimate that about 20%, and and the numbers are a little murky because not everybody wants to admit this, but the estimates are that about one in five members of the House live during the week in their offices. Now, why might this happen? Okay, congressmen make $174,000 a year, which is, I think it is a good salary. But congressmen, especially, let's take out the the guys like Jim Sensenbrenner, who are independently wealthy. Um, Let's take a congressman, matter of fact, Sean Duffy. We're going to be joined by Sean Duffy tomorrow at the during the one o'clock hour of the program during this hour program. Sean's going to be calling, but Sean Duffy or Mike Gallagher or Paul Ryan or Glenn Grothman, all right, congressmen who are not necessarily independently wealthy, um, and let's also say congressmen who are raising kids. So you, you live in the district that you represent. So you presumably got your house there, and you have all the expenses with maintaining that. Household. All right. Housing costs in D.C. are absolutely nuts. Um, I, I know this because years and years ago, I stayed overnight. This is back when Mark Newman was a congressman. And Mark Newman, he shared a place. I, I stayed there one night. He was kind enough to let me stay overnight one night when I was out in D.C. He shared a place with three other congressmen. All right. You know, and, and they did it to split the rent. And I will tell you. I lived in some real rat holes when I was in college. Um, the place where Mark was living, well, it was kind of on a par to some of the places I lived in college. But it was because housing prices in D.C. are absolutely crazy. Thousands and thousands of dollars a month for dumps. So what you have is a lot of congressmen, particularly younger congressmen who are raising families, what they do is instead of spending the money to find a place in D.C. that they can rent and maybe share with a couple other congressmen, what they do is they live during the week in their offices. There's a story in the New York Post today that that focuses on um, a guy who's a representative from uh, New York, and and they show him what, what he's got is he's got this, there's a little alcove on his congressional office, um, and in the alcove, he has like a fold-out cot and so, you know, what he does at the end of the day is he goes in, he pulls out the, the fold-out cot, and he sleeps in this little tiny alcove in his office. Now, you might say, okay, what, what about hygiene? Well, you know, the congressmen for $300 a year have access to this members-only um, gym. And so what a lot of people do is they get up. So you get up early in the morning, get up at six. People come to work like at eight or whatever. So the congressmen will get up like at six. You know, they'll pad through the halls of Congress in their PJs or their sweatpants or whatever. They'll go down to the house gym. They'll work out. They'll shower. They'll clean up. They'll change. And then they go back to their office and they start their business day. Um, They keep that up. um, and And it's just purely a way of saving money. All right. This has become controversial. Because there's some people saying, wait a minute, you know, you shouldn't be able to live in, in your offices. You know, no other employer 
would allow you to essentially take up residence three days. And I'm not talking about, you know, it's a snowstorm, you got to stay overnight. When I was practicing law, there were occasions where you had to pull an all-nighter to get a brief done. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about actually living for three or four days a week, you know, in your office. And some of the watchdogs are saying, well, well first of all, it's, it's, not, it's not sanitary. Um, you know, it, it's not meant to be a living quarters. You're taking advantage of, you know, taxpayer provided for cable and phones and all this type of stuff. You know, you shouldn't be able to live in your offices. And yet about 20% of the congressmen and women, you know, do. And, and their big justification is, look, we, we just, it's tough to make ends meet otherwise. Yeah, we make 174000 bucks, but, you know, we, we got to live at home. And if we got to take thirty grand off the top... To pay for an apartment in Washington, D.C., there's not going to be much left. And um, if you get to the point of making congressmen either have to rent or buy stuff in D.C., the reality is that only millionaires are going to be able to be members of Congress. All right. Now, lots of congressmen do this and congresswomen do this. Um, it is a relatively common thing. It has been going on for years, but it has become controversial. So let's tee this up. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Do you have an issue with congressmen deciding that for the time they are going to be in Washington, two, three, four days a week, whatever it is, and typically, you know, they fly out Thursday night, they come back Monday or Tuesday morning, depending on what the meetings are, whatever, when they are in D.C., do you have an issue with them living in their offices, essentially treating their congressional offices like a, a hotel or like an apartment? Is that appropriate or not? Does it bother you or not? 414-799-1620. And if we accept the premise that typically your employer is not going to allow you to live in your office, should congressmen be allowed to do that? Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. I'll tell you where I come down on this, but I am curious as to how you react. Does it matter? Does it matter to you if uh, your congressional representative has an apartment, or if instead, when the business day is over, everybody leaves, he locks the door and sacks out on the couch, or pulls out a sleeping bag, or whatever? Does that bother you? Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's one nineteen. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 121, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. A couple texters asked, do congressmen get an allowance? The answer is no. Unlike unlike state representatives in, in many states where you get a per diem, so for example, if you are a member of the state assembly or a state, state senate and you are in Madison, for example, um, and you need to stay overnight, you, you get a per diem that you can use to you know, pay for the hotel room or underwrite an apartment. Some people I know have apartments that they typically share, so they don't have to drive back and forth. 414-799-1620. But does it bother you that, I mean, the estimates are that there's about 100 of the 435 members of Congress that live in their offices when they are in Washington, D.C. to save money. Mark in Menominee Falls. Mark, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Yeah, thanks for taking my call. Sure. A couple of things. These are public servants. They draw a pretty decent uh, wage. Uh, you just suggested they can team up together much like our state people do. What's next? Are we going to have everybody that works for the government have the opportunity to sleep at their place of employment? Are we going to have college professors sleeping in the classrooms? Are we going to have policemen now that won't uh, take residence? They'll just sleep at the station. 
Uh, it's just going to go on and on and on. I think this is rather ridiculous. Uh, for 174K, I can probably come up with six different ways of finding a comfortable place to live uh, while you're spending your time in Washington. So you don't think they should allow you don't think you don't think they should allow people to do this to turn it into essentially a to turn the, the congressional office building into essentially a bed and breakfast. No, it, it is not. <laughs> it's not a dormitory. Yeah. You know, what are they sleeping there for? I mean, don't they investigate their position before they actually go out and ask the voter to vote for them? Yeah, they just but... put on their resume. Oh, by the way, I'm not going to live like. Uh, it's expected me to live. I'm going to sleep in my office building. Maybe I'd reconsider who I'm going to vote for. Okay, thanks for call. I'm trying to get a sense on how people feel about this because it's, uh, like I say, I know, I, I mean, I know it's been going on. I, I guess I didn't realize, in all honesty, that it's now about 25% of the members of Congress who, you know, aren't, who, who are, are staying in their offices. Joe on the north side. Joe, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Yeah, hi. hi. I have no, I have no problem with it, but by law, I believe it's illegal. I had a, a, I had a tavern in West Dallas, and after I would have a little too much to drink or shake too many dice with my customers, <laughs> I set up a little room in the basement. Right. Well, well the, the yearly inspection came along, and the fire marshal came coming through, and he's like, "You can't sleep in a in a commercial building." Blah blah. So he made me pull, pull my bed out. And uh, all my clothes. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it, it's it, thanks to culture. I mean, see, some of the some of the it, this has become controversial because, first of all, there, there's a lot of the other congressmen who don't like this. Um, they they don't think it's sanitary. Um, and, and I guess you know they they don't like you know they don't like essentially working next door to somebody who's like living there. There's also this kind of ethics issue because well, I'm just one of somebody says. One of the, in the story I'm looking at, sleeping in your office is not proper. You get free cable courtesy of the taxpayers, free electricity, free janitorial, free security, no rent. It's a heck of a deal. It probably comes out to 20000 to $30,000 a year that isn't claimed at tax time. Hmm. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to um, Shanaz in Brookfield. Hello. Hi, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Yes, ma'am. Go ahead. Yeah, I am actually saying the same stuff which the last previous caller said, that are they going to get the free gas, free, free electricity, and free per diem while living in an office? If they are doing that, it's not fair. Mm-hmm. Well, they don't. I mean, thanks to the call. I mean, there's not a per diem. There, there's not a per diem. I think the idea is $174,000 a year as a salary is enough that you should be able to you know, find a place, maybe you have to share or, or whatever, but share a place. So there's no per diem. But, yeah, they do get free electricity. Um, they they have, the way they're able to make it work, I guess, too, is that there is there is that, that gym. There, there's a gym which is exclusively the province of people in Congress. So what happens is you sleep in your office, you wake up at 6 o'clock in the morning. Now keep in mind, people work in the office. It, it's not... It's not like Eric Bilstadt's palatial office here. I mean, it, it's, you know, people come in. There's different rooms in a congressional office. You've got, you know, the, the waiting room where, you know, you presumably have the receptionist. Um, then you've got, like, other spaces where your staff works. Then you've got the congressman's office. So, I mean, it's the, typically they're suites. It's not just like a, a one-room thing. And presumably the, the congressman or congresswoman is sleeping, again, in the cot that's you know he pulls out from a closet or on a sleeping bag or on a couch or something like this. But the reason they're able to make it work is they can go down at six in the morning and they can shower 
and change. Let's talk to Mark in Kenosha. Mark, you're on WTMJ. Yeah, hi. Hi, hi. Jeff. Hi, uh, thanks for taking the call, sure. of course. Several of the points have already been, two other callers have already been kind of covered. Like one of my first points was if they got a per diem, which you've already said they don't get a per diem. Right. If they got a per diem, I'd be pretty much saying, you know, get the heck out of your office. Right. But because there's no per diem, that should give a lot, I mean, that should give a lot of leeway. The only other thought, though, and I will say as a, as a guy who raised seven children here in Wisconsin, a good paying job, $60,000, $70,000 type of job, I managed to do that quite well. Uh, so if somebody's getting under seventy four thousand, I've heard Sean Duffy go into that one before, and I'm, I'm loud Wisconsin wish we got one hundred seventy four thousand. Well, that's, other than that, I, I agree with everything I've been hearing. Thanks for always taking me. Well, I appreciate it. Thanks for calling. I, here's here's kind of where I come down is, um, you know, I always thought I originally thought that this is it, this is kind of an indicator. Oh, the, the guy's working really hard. He's you know he's there all the time, or she's there all the time. I'm, I, I don't mean to differentiate on gender in this particular case. I will say this: the more I think about it, those congre- congressional offices are are not. It's not a dormitory. It, it's it's just flat not a dormitory. And I mean, I always try to apply private sector standards to the public sector. I I I, I don't know of any business that would allow you to essentially live three or four nights a week in your office. Maybe they're out there. I just don't know them. I, I know, for example, when I worked in the U.S. Attorney's Office, we wouldn't allow him. Occasionally, like I say, people have to pull an overnighter or something like that, but you wouldn't let people just live in the offices, which then raises the question, why do we allow congressmen or congresswomen to do it? It's 128. This is Jeff Wagner. 135, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. All right. Now, I admit my view of this next story might be colored somewhat by the fact that in Wisconsin, high school athletics, with the blessing of the Milwaukee Public Schools and the WIAA, you can go out with your buddies. You can stick a gun in someone's face. You can rob them. You can carjack a lady. You can flee. And if you are caught, convicted of felony, uh, of, of a felony for which you are ultimately going to be sentenced to jail for a period of time, while, before you go to jail, in Wisconsin, with the blessing of MPS and the WIAA, you can play basketball, up to and including playing in the state basketball tournament finals. So that's how we view, that's how MPS and that is how the WIA views um, serious criminal activity. In other words, it's no big deal. Stick a gun in somebody's face. You know, you and your buddies rob them, carjack people, get charged with a felony. All right, no big deal. Go play basketball. That, that, that's, so that is kind of the background of this. The story comes from um, Arrowhead High School. Here's the way the Journal Sentinel is reporting it. There has been a, a lawsuit filed. It was originally filed in Waukesha County Circuit Court. It has now been moved to federal court, I believe. This is a federal complaint, a federal case, I guess. All right, here's here's the deal. February 10th, um, there is a party at a girl's house. She apparently um, is a player on, she's a sophomore, She's a player on the soccer team, girls' soccer team, okay? So there is a party February 10th at her house in the town of Merton. 
about a dozen students attend. Three of the students bring alcohol and drink and were subsequently suspended. All right, they've got an athletic code which says, all right, you're not supposed to drink alcohol. So they drink, those three are suspended. There's 12 people at the party. The other eight who were at the party did not drink alcohol. They didn't bring the booze. They didn't drink the booze. Nothing happened to them. So you've got the three that brought the liquor or beer, whatever it was. They drink. They are suspended. Eight other people are at the party. They don't drink. Nothing happens to them. So that that leaves the girl whose house the party was held at. Um, apparently, February 23rd, according to the story in the paper, um, the school sends a letter to the girl and her parents telling them that she is going to be suspended for four games. She, this is the woman who, the girl whose the party was at her house, she didn't drink. She didn't bring liquor and she didn't drink, but it was her house. They say she's going to be suspended. In the letter, which included as an exhibit that was in a lawsuit, the uh, principal or assistant principal says, hosting and possessing alcohol the weekend of February 10th is the reason for the suspension. Okay, so the girl and her parents, they appeal, and they say, wait, we, we want we want a clarification of the reason for the suspension, right? At which point in time, the uh, associate principal says that the girl was suspended for possessing and consuming alcohol, not hosting the party, to which the parents and the girls say, wait a second, you know, she she didn't possess the alcohol. It wasn't her alcohol. She didn't consume any alcohol. About a month later, again, according to the lawsuit in the Journal Sentinel, the school's Board of Appeal Committee met to consider her appeal. During the meeting, the assistant principal apparently changed her tune and said that uh, the girl was being suspended for hosting a drinking party, not for possessing or consuming alcohol. Um, in another follow-up explanation, um, the girl's parents say they were told their daughter was being suspended for knowingly possessing alcohol, violating unspecified local ordinances, and engaging in conduct unbecoming an athlete, according to a transcript of a voicemail message. Um, all right. So the, the, the parents are saying, well, well, wait a second. Um, the school's code of conduct doesn't specify that hosting fellow students, even if alcohol is present, amounts to a violation. So that's essentially what you have here. You have a girl, there is a party at her house, three kids bring, I presume it's beer, but I don't know, whatever. They bring it, they drink it, they get suspended. The other eight kids that are there, they don't drink, nothing happens to them. And now Arrowhead is going after the girl who's house this was held at i will assume for the sake of argument that the the girl who was hosting it knew that the kids brought alcohol i I don't get the sense that and i'm willing to be corrected but i don't get the sense that um i don't know if she knew in advance that they were going to bring it but I, i get the sense that she knew as did the other eight you know everybody knew that these kids had brought booze or beer or whatever all right she's now been suspended her parents hired a lawyer. They are filing suit against the school. 
414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is it fair to suspend her? That would be the, the girl for who, where the party was at. She didn't bring the liquor. She didn't consume the liquor. It was just she happened to be the one who had everybody over at her place. Assuming that that is the case, that she didn't drink it, it was just at her place, is it fair to treat her like the three kids that drank the booze, or is it more? would it be better, should she have been treated like the other eight kids who were present but didn't partake? Is it fair to suspend her? 414-799-1620, that is the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I will tell you where I come down on this, but this is one where I am legitimately curious as to how you react. It was a party. She hosted the party. A couple kids show up with beer or liquor or whatever and drink it. Should she be suspended if she didn't participate? We discuss next. It's 142. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. If you're on the line, please hold on. 146, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Okay, this is going to be an interesting conversation. What, what do you do with the girl? She's sophomore. She's on the um, girls' uh, soccer team out in, uh, at Arrowhead High School. Um, in February, there's a party that is at her house. Twelve, including her, there's 12 people that show up. Three girls bring alcohol of some sort, um, and they consume it. The girl whose house this is, she doesn't drink. The other eight kids that are there, they don't drink either. The three that drank, I don't know how the school found out about this. They've been suspended. The school also wants to suspend the girl where the party was held. Even though she did not drink the alcohol, is that fair? 414-799-1620. Let's start with Linda in Burlington. Hi, Linda. Hi. What do you think? Well, here's the deal. If it was my daughter, I would make her pay the consequences. Um, evidently, she let the girls come into the house with the alcohol. And even if they snuck it in, she knew once it was there, mm-hmm. she should have had them leave. So I think sometimes, too many times, parents step in and don't make the children pay for their consequences, and what good does that do them later on in life? What would you do, if that's the theory, what would you do to the other eight that were there, uh, presumably, let's assume for the sake of argument, they knew that these other girls had brought alcohol, and and they didn't leave, or they didn't force the kids to leave. Should they have gotten off scot-free then? Well, I think that there should have been some type of a consequence for them, but I don't think it would. It should have been as strict as the three that did drink. Right, right. So, say, instead of missing out on four games, maybe just missing out on one game. But you would you think that that the other eight that were there during that party should have been should have gotten at least some discipline as well. I do because I mean, if they knew that it was there. Mm-hmm. I think that the whole lot of them should have gathered together and said, you know, this is not what we're supposed to be doing. We would like you to leave. And if the girls didn't leave, which I would assume they would, having respect for the one girl's home, um, I would say that they should have left. Mm-hmm. Okay, good enough. All right, thanks for call. 414-799-1620. I'll tell you where I come down on this in just a minute. But is this, now, this is a federal lawsuit. Is this an overly harsh result? Is this... Is this fair? Let's uh, talk to Dave in Grafton. Dave, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi, Jeff. Boy, Linda is uh, my kind of parent, <laughs> and I talked to your uh, producer, and I, I said there's a couple of things here. You know, these athletic codes are really a hodgepodge from school to school to school. 
I know my kid's school has a reporting requirement. I mean, they, they have in there that you have to self-report. And uh, so I would imagine they probably have a reporting requirement here, and she's guilty of not reporting her friends for violating the athletic code. But um, I'm real disappointed in the parents here. The parents are really teaching their daughter um, the wrong life lesson. They're teaching her about technicalities and not, you know, the right thing or the wrong thing. These are the parents that are suing, uh, bringing a lawsuit to try to have this suspension overturned or whatever. Exactly. And you know what? I would look at this and say, okay, um, if they come to a conclusion and she's put back on the team, then I say that the coach should just uh, let her sit on the bench. Uh, right, <laughs> not player. No, interesting. You know, there's got to be, there are consequences for actions, and uh, we we need to start having the parents be parents and not their best friend and not the, you know, trying to take care of everything for them. And she is learning horrible lessons right. from this event. Right, and so in other, in other words, regardless of what the, Regardless of what the technical language of the rule is, you're kind of looking at the big picture and saying, okay, she knowingly allowed some of her teammates to bring alcohol into this party, um, and she should be held accountable for that, regardless of what the technical language of the rule is. Right. That's what uh, athletics are are there for. They're to enhance um, these kids beyond the actual curriculum and prepare them for life. Athletics are a privilege. They're not a right. And and this particular um, parents, they're teaching everything that athletics are teaching not to do. Well, of course, Dave, I, and I, I keep coming back to the idea that MPS and the WIAA allows you to be convicted of robbing somebody or being a party to a crime of robbing somebody at gunpoint, and you still get to play in the state basketball tournament while you're awaiting sentencing on a felony conviction. Well, even since he's sentenced, he'll be back playing next year in his senior year. It's totally po- ridiculous. It, it's entirely possible. No, thank, thanks for your call. It does, it does end up, you know, how – it does show kind of how screwed up stuff is. Jacob in Port Washington. Jacob, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Yeah, I feel bad for this uh, this child that uh, had the party and other people showed up. We've all been in that situation. But to have college admissions look at her and say, what, talk about the suspension, you know, could determine whether she gets into a – school or not into the school and admissions can look at that and i don't think that's right to hold her accountable years in advance what about uh, and and uh, and you say that because she didn't bring the booze and she didn't or beer or whatever it was she didn't bring the alcohol and she didn't drink it would you agree that it's fair to hold the three accountable who did bring the liquor or the booze i i think it's a touchy subject maybe she did ask them to leave and if they refuse, I mean, what are her yeah. ramifications to not having them there? You know what I mean? If she, if she says, yeah, you guys put it away, you know, why don't you leave? And they refuse to leave. We don't know the whole story, right. obviously. Right. But because she didn't bring it, she didn't drink, you don't think she did anything wrong, essentially? I don't think so. Okay. All right. No, thank, thanks. Thanks. I'm, I'm curious. I'm I, again, I'll tell you where I came down on, come down on this. I'm just genuinely curious as to where people stand. David in Green Bay. David, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi. Hi. I had my uh, daughter when she was 17 went to a party with a friend, a friend from opposing team, a rival team. They got lost in a road. They stopped the police officer team, um, checked them all. She got caught because she blew over. Uh, the kid that was driving was from the opposing team. 
did not have alcohol, so she was cleared. We made our daughter go tell her coach that, even though we may not have found out, that she had um, been drinking. positive for drinking. The other player that was driving was at the same party, never reported it to her coach and played the, the whole season. Oh. <laughs> and, and, and because you had your daughter do what I think we would all agree would be the right thing, she ended up getting penalized. Yeah, she was suspended for four games beginning of the season. Straight A student, really good kid, made a mistake. Do you think you did the right thing by making a report? Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. And when, when she went in front of the judge, we made her go up there by herself. We were in the back of the courtroom, but she, she had the consequences. Right. Um, okay, thanks for the call. Uh, I'm going to take a quick break. When we come back, I'm going to tell you where I come down on this. Stick around. It's 153. This is Jeff Wagner. 157. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Okay, Jeff, what would you do? First of all, um, I, I think if if there are vagaries in the Arrowhead code of conduct, they, they need to clean them up. I, that, that's what I would just say. If you... I mean, if you want to suspend people for hosting a party where alcohol is consumed, the the language of your your code should say that pretty clearly. It, it and I I get the sense it doesn't. If if I'm wrong, I stand to be corrected. But I mean, that's the key. Is is it a rule violation to possess it or to is it a rule possess, to host a party or not? And maybe you need to change that if it doesn't say that now as far as the possession of this goes i i don't know did did she possess it well no not in the commonly accepted sense here's where i think they made a mistake at arrowhead i think if you were going to punish people you needed to punish everybody i, I think they make a mistake by singling out the girl who didn't drink whose house this was held at and not singling out and not going after the other eight because they were all at the party as, as well. And assuming that everybody knew that there was alcohol at that party, and I'm assuming that for the sake of argument, it seems to me that all of them who did not consume alcohol but were there should, in fact, be disciplined regardless of you know whose house it happened to be at. That's where I think that they're making the mistake. They might need to rechange the the code. But having said that, I, this is one where I can't believe that we're filing a lawsuit over this. I mean, seriously, we're in federal court arguing about this because the, the truth of the matter is whether or not the language, whether or not the language is technically enough to support a suspension or not, clearly these kids are in the wrong. They, the kids are in the wrong. There should be two levels of suspension. The kids who brought the booze and drank, they should get a stiffer suspension. But if you're going to suspend the girl whose house this was at, you need, in my opinion, to suspend the other eight, saying, okay, this is what lawyers would call constructive possession. I think Arrowhead got it wrong, but also this is one where I think if it was my kid, Rather than hiring a lawyer and running off to federal court to challenge this, I would take this as a life lesson and say, "Hun, I, I know you might not think this is fair, but the truth is what happened here was wrong, and the people that brought this liquor over or alcohol or beer or whatever, they're really not your friends, and, and you should have called us. You should have called somebody. You shouldn't have allowed drinking to go on at our house, and this penalty is, well, it's just one of those life lessons. That's what I think it should, how this should have been handled. But unfortunately, we now run to court all the time. It's 159. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 208. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. As a Brewers fan, I am thrilled by Belinda's report, Greg Matzik's report. 
All right. Um, you know, there's always one person on every team, and I, I understand that. Um, one person on every team that, that ends up being the whipping boy. I like this Brewers team. I, I do. They're, they're nice guys. Um, they're quality players. I think this has the making of a special team. There was one guy, though, and I, I've had this happen. I've been in a couple of games already this year where they brought him in, and it was one of those where, oh, Oliver Drake is in. Here, might as well just kind of head for the exits because if he's in, they're not going to win the game. Um, I, I, I just, anyways, uh, what happened is Wade Miley, who's a guy that they picked up during the offseason, injured himself at the end of spring training. He's back. He's going to start tonight. They needed to make room for him, so they got rid of Oliver Drake, um, sending him and designating him for assignment, which is which is fine. I hope he goes off and has a great career. But I'm glad he's not going to be pitching for the Brewers because, oh, gee, we're coming back in this game. Let's put Oliver Drake in. Oh, he just gave up six runs. His earned run average, let me see, what do they say? Um, a bullpen that's actually been really good so far this year, with the exception of him. Twelve and two-thirds innings, 11 appearances, 14 hits, eight walks, ooh, um, 6.39 earned run average. Grew, you could probably, well, maybe not quite that good, but but in any event, I think the team is better um, in this regard. So, uh, again, for people who are ready to jump off the ledge with that four-game losing streak to Chicago, they came back, they've won the last two games, they're 4-4 four and four on this road trip, have a chance to come home with a positive road trip. And the truth of the matter is, at least in my opinion, the Brewers are doing what they need to do. They're, they're beating the teams that they should beat. Um, now they need to be more competitive against the teams that are equal or a little better to them. And I do think if I'm David Stearns and Mark Atanasio, I, I, I think it's difficult to just ignore the fact that the Cubs have beaten you seven out of eight games. And I think maybe moving forward, because at some point in time, you're going to have, you're going to stop playing the Florida Marlins and the Cincinnati Reds and the San Diego Padres. And you're going to have to figure out a way, if you're going to get to the World Series, to beat the Chicago Cubs. But, you know, right now they're, they're doing what they need to do. All right, I want to approach something that we talked about in this hour of the show yesterday, but from a different perspective, because this news actually broke, or at least I learned about it after our discussion. If you are a regular listener of this program, you know that I am a huge supporter of the Boy Scouts. I I actually got involved and did some fundraising for them a number of years ago when there was all the controversy over whether or not they should allow gay scoutmasters. And I really took no position on that issue one way or the other. But what troubled me was you had some united ways, not the ones around here, but some across the country that were trying to make a political statement, and they were defunding the Boy Scouts over this issue. And I always thought that was I thought that was unfair because the the United Way funding that the Boy Scouts got generally was for outreach purposes. They, they'd go and they'd find you know, kids in areas that really could use the benefits of scouting, um, but, but didn't have enough money to participate and join. So, I mean, I was just a, a huge, you know, supporter of that. And I, I ended up raising money and that got me drawn in. And, um, for years and years and years, I emceed the Eagle Scout Awards Banquet in, uh, Waukesha. Um, didn't get a chance to do it this year because I was on vacation, but it, it's, I'm a big believer in scouts and scouting. Um, the other reality though is that, Boy Scouts have been, just like so many service organizations, Boy Scouts have been struggling for members lately. A lot of stuff for kids to do, 
lots of different activities, lots of pull of, for example, you know, sporting. I mean, it just, it, it's amazing to me. I watch my nephew play soccer. He's 11 years old. And, you know, he's been playing competitive soccer since, what, seven or, or eight. They, they start early. You've got these club teams. You know, parents travel all over. You know, it seems like there's always something going on on a weekend. And so the question becomes, you know, if, if you're going to be in athletics, do you have time for scouting? All those different variables. But Boy Scouts have been losing members. So what they did is they made the decision that they were going to start allowing girls in. And we talked about this yesterday. Um, the original plan was we're going to essentially allow the different councils to make these decisions, and we're going to start at the Cub Scout level so young girls can participate. The plan is now Explorers, which is for like the high school kids, the older kids, that's been co-ed for a while. And the plan is by next year what they're going to do is they're going to allow um, Girl Scouts or girls to be Boy Scouts. Um, when we talked about this yesterday, it was in the context of what what is this doing to Girl Scouts? And the answer is it's hurting Girl Scouts because the preliminary results are in and you're seeing thousands and thousands of girls who might have been Girl Scouts are choosing to, you know, be Cub Scouts. And I think this trend is going to continue. So, you know, Boy Scouting is trying to stay alive essentially by kind of cannibalizing Girl Scouts. Uh, I don't know if that's good or bad. It's just what it is. Well, anyhow, here's the, the latest announcement that they made. Um, Boy Scouts are no longer going to be Boy Scouts. For 100 years, the Boy Scouts of America flagship program has been known as the Boy Scouts. Since that is changing, um, there is now a new name for the Boy Scouts program. It is now going to be called Scouts BSA, effective in February. Um, what they say is they say, we wanted to land on something that evokes the past, but also conveys the inclusive nature of the program going forward. We're trying to find the right way to say um, we're here for both young men and from young women. The parent organization will remain Boy Scouts of America, and the Cub Scouts, the program for 7- to 10-year-olds, will keep their title. But the Boy Scouts, and this is the program between Cub Scouts and Explorers, for 11- to 17-year-olds, that's now, it's not going to be Boy Scouts anymore. It's going to be Scouts BSA. Hmm. All right. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. The decision to add girls now at all levels of scouting. Here is my question. Looking into your crystal ball, and I'm very, very curious, especially if you participate in scouts. And like I say, I did as a kid and I, I, I have, I've tried to help out to an extent as an adult. The decision to admit girls. Is this going to be a positive moving forward? Or is this going to be a death knell for Boy Scouting five, ten years down the road? Short term, you're going to get an influx of people. There's, there's no question about it. Long term, is this going to change the character? By going co-ed, is it going to change the character of scouting to the point that, well, scouting becomes essentially meaningless and people aren't going to see any purpose in signing up for it? 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. It's no longer Boy Scouts for what have traditionally been Boy Scouts. 
All right, is this going to be good or bad long-term? Not just the name change, but the decision to go co-ed. I'll tell you what I think, and we will discuss in just a minute. 414-799-1620. And if you were a scout or a scout leader, what do you think about this decision? We discuss next. It's 217. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 2.20, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. The world's largest music festival is right around the corner, and WTMJ is your one-stop shop for Summerfest information. To get a full musical lineup of the big gig, text the word SUMMERFEST to the Acunet Mortgage Talk and text line 414-799-1620. All right, I had have a text here. Somebody says, well, you know, 4-H manages co-ed really, really well. And I, I have no doubt that that's true. The thing is, you know, Boy Scouts have been different. Um, you know, Boy Scouts is not um, 4-H. Boy Scouts is not, um, you know, junior achievement. You know, Boy Scouts has been uniquely Boy Scouts. I am not, I, I mean, I'm not against you know, giving girls the opportunity, and I'm going to say girls and boys or young men or young women, whatever. I'm not against giving people those sort of opportunities. And I think, I mean, I, I give credit to Boy Scouts for making the decision to say, okay, we, we need to do something to kind of juice our membership roles because our roles are declining. And so maybe what we can do is we can go and we can poach and we can take a couple people, we can take people from Girl Scouts. And if that messes over Girl Scouts, it's not our problem. And I, I think there's an element of that going in. But I do think that while I have nothing against co-ed programs, and I think that there's, you know, a lot to be said about, you know, girls learning how to tie knots and appreciate nature and doing the swimming and doing the merit badges and things like that. I also think that there is, especially at those ages, there is a value to the same-sex experience. Just like, I mean, I think while it's not necessarily for everybody, I, I think for, you know, a lot of people, there is a value to having, all right, we've got the, the high school for boys, we've got the high school for girls. And I think... There is a real danger moving forward that in going co-ed, and again, I'm not saying deny opportunities for girls to go camping or doing things like that. In going co-ed, what you perhaps do is you water down or you risk watering down some of the things that Boy Scouting was built around. And in all honesty, I think this is one, if I were a Girl Scout leader, for example, I think I would be outraged by this particular decision. And what I would be saying is, look, you know, we're not, we shouldn't allow Boy Scouts to essentially take all our membership. Why is it that, you know, what is it that we are not providing that is, you know, drawing people over to Boy Scouts? And I would be aggressive in going after that. I mean, I guess that's how I would look at this entire situation. John in Greenfield. John, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi there. Um, just a quick thing, you know, that, maybe boys, you know, that, that age for Boy Scouts right. is, is a formidable years for girls and boys. And mm-hmm. I think camping together and doing things could, could cause some interaction that might not be appreciated by most of the adults and most of the parents. Not saying they would, but, uh, you know, it's, you know, yeah, that that's that's a time frame when things happen. Right. Um right. Well, I I mean thanks. I mean I guess I mean there I'm I guess I'm not I'm not so much worried about that. You're going to have I, I think 
the the idea of they're already wrestling with the, the whole idea of camping and there's going to be chaperones and I'm 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 not I'm not worried about that. I guess I'm worried about I'm the the larger things, the 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 character, the the bonding sort of stuff because I do think that there is a value to like I was saying, you know, same-sex activities whether it's you know, boys or whether it's it's girls. And that's always been part of the scouting experience at the younger levels. Explorers has been co-ed for, you know, forever or for at least a long time. Now it's all going to be essentially co-ed, and I think that does change the character of the experience. Interestingly, Girl Scouts, from what I understand, has no interest at all in deciding that they're going to be co-ed. You know, they want to keep it a uniquely female experience recognizing that I think a lot of the things that they're going to be doing are, are targeted to the development of young women, girls in other words. The Boy Scouts are apparently like throwing that out of the window, and now it's just going to be um, scouts. Short term, I get where they think it's going to work. Long term, don't know. 224, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 227, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us as the situation in North Korea deepens. What do the men who fought there over 60 years ago think? John McCure is joined by a local Korean war veteran to get his take at 520 on Wisconsin's afternoon news. All right. Interesting story. Um, it's, you know, they did account the lawyer for Stormy Daniels, Stephanie Clifford, the Porn, I, I refuse to use the word, you know, pornographic film star, because I don't know what makes you a star. Pornographic film, I mean, no, seriously, what, Belinda, you're chuckling. Well, really, I mean, what differentiates you? What, what makes you a, a star? I mean, she's, you know, she's, she appears in the porno films. I mean, is, is it a difference between like being a bit player or, I mean, is what, what exactly makes you the star in those sort of things? But okay, the pornographic film, and you're not really an act. You act in those, I don't know, pornographic film performer, Stormy Daniels. Um, her attorney has been, he's been on CNN more than I think, you know, Paul Ryan. He's been on CNN like 60 times in the last like month and a half. It's like CNN, of course, obsessed with this particular story um, about the whole Stormy Daniels thing. And I, I will say this. Her and her lawyer, I give them credit for one thing. They are the greatest self-promoters since Barnum and Bailey. I, I mean, if there is a TV camera around, she's figured out a way to be in front of it. And because, uh, again, may I go back to the whole 60 Minutes thing? James Comey appears on, uh, does an interview with Stephanopoulos on ABC. Nine million people watch. Stormy Daniels appears in 60 Minutes. 22 million people watch. That tells you all you need to know about America in 2018. The pornographic film performer, 22 million, former head of the FBI, 9 million. In any event, this is the story that, of course, refuses to die because she refuses to let it die. Um, And I understand there is this fascination with this whole thing. Well, President Trump, of course, denies through other people that that he he had this one-night stand with this woman and and nobody believes him okay i i don't believe Gru, you don't believe him do you of course not i i don't believe him i know i you know he's lying about it okay you know i you know i i think in some respect you'd have more respect if you say yeah yeah I, okay you you've yes we hooked up after this golf outing you know if you want to talk about regret I got to him. I don't know if Donald Trump, you know, is capable of regret, but if it was, it was kind of like if he looks back on any of the different one night stands he probably had over the years, this is probably one where he wish he would have just kind of 
just taken the Nancy Reagan advice and just said no and kind of moved on. But in any event, here's where the story goes. Um, there's a new, there's a uh, USA Today, God bless them, they go out and they do this focus group with Trump supporters, and they're, they're asking the question, okay, first of all, do you think President Trump is lying when he says he didn't have sex with this this woman? And um, overwhelmingly, the people said, yeah, we don't believe him. I mean, of course he's lying about this. And then they ask, do you care? And almost everybody says, no, we don't care. <laughs> you know, this, doesn't, this doesn't make any difference to us a, a, at all. Uh, among the Trump supporters, you know, that are there, and, and again, these are Trump supporters. Yeah, we think he's lying about it. Yes, we think he had sex with this porno movie star, but we don't care what he did, you know, 10 years ago. It just doesn't matter to us. And, and actually, I think that's where a lot of the American public is. Do they believe that President, do they believe President Trump when he denies this? No. Do they care about it one whit? The answer is no. And sooner or later, CNN and ABC and NBC and MSNBC, I think they're going to come to that same conclusion as well. Meanwhile, Stormy Daniels continues to enjoy her 15 minutes of fame and sell out strip clubs in Fort Worth and in Dallas. Huh. It's 2.36, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. I've told this story before on the radio. I, I, I developed a fondness for professional wrestling growing up through my, my late grandmother. My, my grandmother, well, what happened is my parents would, on Saturday nights, when they were getting ready to go out, they would bring me over to my grandparents' house. This was in a row house in Baltimore, Maryland. We moved here when I was about 9 or 10. And they, they would drop me off, and I would spend the night, and my parents would go out with their friends for the evening or whatever. And my grandmother would make dinner, and I can remember sitting on like a TV tray with whatever dinner she would make, and we would watch pro wrestling. My grandmother, God bless her, you know, to her dying day, she never believed that it was what scripted. She, she, just, she just didn't. She, she, she bought into it. And there was this wonderful woman, and she would sit there, and she would yell at the TV, turn around, ref, turn around. It was just, and even back then, I mean, we're talking, I'm like five years old or six years old. I, I keep thinking, I, this this can't be real. And I mean, I understand the moves are real, but I mean, I, th- th- this has got to be some form. You could never convince my grandmother that. But I, I got my fondness for wrestling pro wrestling and watching it you know from my grandmother and i can remember once we moved here like i said when i was about nine years old and and i mean i grew up i grew up watching awa wrestling you know the the territory owned by Vern Gagne, and you know i the, you had the crusher and the bruiser and mad dog and the butcher and all these different characters and i can remember when when i got you know, when I was in high school, I could remember getting some of my buddies and we went down to the Milwaukee Auditorium. Now, what do they call it? The Miller Theater or whatever. And, and you'd watch, you know, you'd watch wrestling, you know, at, at the auditorium and things like that. And, and then, you know, the American Wrestling Association kind of faded out and you had the WWF and then the WWE that took over all this. But I mean, I just, it, it was a lot of fun. It was a blast. And, and I just, it was a, a part of my childhood. Now, my producer Gru is into. He goes to the wrestling matches now. You know, you you'll go down to the Bradley Center or wherever and watch the wrestling matches. I admit, I've kind of I've kind of aged out of that now. But but I you know I I still I mean I appreciate it and I remember the fun and the entertainment and and I was always amazed at how athletic these guys are and I didn't care if it was really scripted. I I think it is great entertainment. But you know, if you are of a certain age, you know you you know 
the crusher, Reggie Lasowski, guy from South Milwaukee who was um, just just one of the big stars in wrestling. You know, the guy used to say he was the wrestler that made Milwaukee famous. Um, he passed away about 12 years ago at the age of 79. You know, he, he worked in wrestling for, you know, 40, you know, some years and was just synonymous with Milwaukee. Well, you know, we talked about this when it first happened. You, you had a, a, a group of, of fans, um, who decided, you know, we, we need to recognize, we need to recognize the crusher. And what they did is they got together and they started one of these GoFundMe campaigns and, you know, had a couple fundraisers at some local bars and things like that. They have now hit their goal of $40,000. And apparently there is going to be a statue. It's going to be unveiled maybe next spring. The location is still kind of, you know, up in the air. Over 300 people and at least eight businesses ended up, you know, contributing. And, and I think people feel, you know, really, really strongly and they feel good about this. Well, this story was in the news the other day and, and somebody actually reached out to me and said that they don't get it. They said, you know, I, I, I don't get it. What's this thing? The guy's a wrestler. I, I mean, really? You're going to, you know, you're going to put up a statue honoring a wrestler. Now, of course, my first response was, okay, this is Milwaukee. We've got a statue of Fonzie, for God's sake, on, you know, on the river. So let, let's, yeah, if, if you're asking me the crusher or Fonzie, I'm going to vote for the crusher. But I thought the larger point beyond the bronze Fonz, and of course, this is also the same city where they've got that big, ugly orange uh, monstrosity, that sunburst thing at the end of Wisconsin Avenue. I'll take a Crusher statue or I'll take Fonzie to the big, ugly orange thing any uh, day of the week. But, 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 here's the interesting thing. I was saying to this person who was complaining about it, I said, no, you don't understand that you don't understand how significant this guy was. And how into wrestling so many people were. He really was an icon. Okay, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Did you grow up watching wrestling? Were you as into it as I obviously was? And a Crusher statue, I can't think of anything, anything that would be better for South Milwaukee. If you're going to recognize somebody, recognize the native son. I think that is tremendous. 414-799-1620. We're back to talk Crusher in just a minute. First, it's 241. Let's go to the WTMJ Time Saver Traffic. Belinda, we got an issue? We sure do, Jeff. Miller Parkway southbound. All lanes are closed at National because of a car fire. We even had a couple of... WTMJ listeners call in telling us that they were uh, in the area and saw this going on. So if you're driving near the area of Miller Parkway southbound at National, try to avoid it. All lanes are blocked because of a car fire. WTMJ News Time, 241. 245, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. They've raised enough money. They're going to be putting, uh, presumably by next spring, they're going to be putting the statue of the wrestler who made Milwaukee famous, in, or at least made South Milwaukee famous, uh, the Crusher. Statue's going to go up. I, I was talking to somebody the other day who just said they don't get it. I, I, I don't understand what is all this fashion. People really donated money to for this. And I said, you just don't understand the, the impact that for, you know, so many of us, 
that the aid the old AWA and and pro wrestling and Vern Gagne and the Crusher and Mad Dog, all these people, you just don't understand the impact that that had on so many of us during our formative years. Um, I mean, I can remember Saturday nights, Sunday mornings. You watched on Channel eighteen. You'd watch it on Channel twenty four. You know, it was it was before wrestling went national, before the whole Hogan craze and stuff. But it was something that captured a lot of our attendance. And I'm, I'm attention and I'm not embarrassed to admit I used to on occasion, you know, go down to some of those shows and things like that. 414-799-1620. Couple of our texts. I'm 51 years old and the guy who was talking to you obviously didn't understand having the crutcher as a statue. He must not have grown up. In those times, let's see, I experienced the same scenario as you did, watching wrestling with my grandma. My grandmother idolized the crusher and never believed anything was scripted. Um, if she was still with us, she still would She would still enjoy seeing the statue. Um, amen to that. Here's another text. My uncle was called the Wolfman, and I was 10 years old when he wrestled Baron Von Roschke. I had no choice, uh, but uh, I, I was pulling for my uncle. By the way, he got paid to lose. He retired with a perfect record. He never won a wrestling match. 414-799-1620. I've got the, um, my brother-in-law. My brother-in-law was at some convention, and, and Baron Von Roschke was there. He was a gym teacher in, in Minneapolis before he became a wrestler. I've got an autographed picture of Baron Von Roschke up at my, uh, up at my pod. Absolutely. Might not have an office, but in my pod, I've got enough space for a Baron Von Roschke signed thing. Glenn in Franklin. Glenn, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. I used to teach welding at Oak Creek High School, and the first thing on Monday morning, and we, uh, actually through the day, we all talked about the crushers about the first 15 minutes. <laughs> that, that was what, what you saw, what, what happened at the matches on Saturday nights, or what you saw on TV or whatever, huh? Exactly, yeah. And, uh, and then they also say the crusher looked like he was going to be in the hospital for three days and says, I saw him at the golf course at Grand, <laughs> at Grand Park the other day, right after the match. Yeah, see, that, that was... That was the thing too uh, about like like these wrestlers and all that you know they they were they, they, it wasn't like they were making so much money that they were flying around on jets and stuff right he's playing at Grant Park a couple days later probably with the cigar and stuff now thanks see that was that was a, a, a I don't know to say kinder gentler it was a simpler time they used to tape the old AWA wrestling shows at some studio in Minneapolis and then they'd physically send out the tapes to the different. You know, stations, Green Bay and Milwaukee and wherever else they, they they were. It was just, it was kind of a fun time. Let's talk to um, Benjamin in Glendale. Benjamin, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. How are you? I'm well, thank you. I love I love walking down memory lane like this occasionally. When you, mar- when you mentioned Darren Von Raschke, I had to call. When I was in my late teens, and I'm about the same age as you, my grandfather would set his alarm for 10.30 at night on Sunday night so that he could watch All-Star Wrestling. Right. And I would drive down, and he and I would watch it together. Mm. And then the next Monday, we would sit around as we were working in the fields on my family farm, and we would talk about the wrestling matches from the night before. Mm-hmm. And same as your grandmother. Yeah. He was convinced that, well, <laughs> of course that's true. Of course that's real. They would never fake that kind of stuff. But just the memory of, oh, yeah. you know, a, a small town, the only light on, was my grandfather <laughs> and myself sitting there watching All Star Wrestling? It, it was so, it was your bonding moment watching the different matches and stuff. Exactly. I mean, you he would have his alarm set. I would be down there. We would watch it. The <laughs> next day, we would be sitting around and we'd be talking about Aaron Von Rash. 
far. Everybody else that had gone on. Right. So I, I have no problem, and I am glad that they got enough money to get the uh, – it's the Crusher statue there because he's part of our culture. Oh, oh, exactly. No, thanks for calling. And it was just it was it was admittedly sort of a different time. The production values on the TV show, you know, they, they weren't great or anything like that. But it didn't it didn't matter. You know, you created these indelible characters. And what the TV show was was really it was an effort to kind of sell tickets because in general you didn't have the good wrestlers wrestle each other. You had the you had the the star wrestling against some spud. And, you know, the, the spud would always lose, but it was sort of like a way to kind of show for, hey, in three weeks, it's going to be at the Milwaukee Auditorium and come watch the Crusher wrestle, you know, whoever. It was sort of a way to show for those things. But it, it was just, it was all good fun. Um, Randy in Waukesha. Randy, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. Hi, Randy. Back when I was in college, uh, Sunday mornings, All-Star Wrestling was a must-watch. <laughs> we would watch The Baron, of course, The Crusher, Mad Dog Vachon. Pompero Furpo, the right. wild bull of the Pampas, <laughs> yeah. and we would be doing the souffles in our living room and the claw. <laughs> and the and pile just, driver, they ought to ban that, you know. <laughs> yeah, it, it is in some states. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> it's, yeah, it was just, it was just one of these sort of entered, and it was this common experience, you know, we, you know, it sounds like we all grew up, you know, we, we all grew up having the same experience, even though we were in different places watching the show. Absolutely. No, it was fun. It was just tremendous. Let's see. I used here's a text. Glenn says, "I used to wake my son up with the claw in the morning, and he loved that old wrestling move." I used to watch Kenny J, the Sodbuster. He was one of the spuds. They, they paid him to like set up the ring, and then he'd go on and he'd, he'd wrestle and he'd, he'd lose to somebody. I mean, he 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 always ended up losing, but it didn't matter. Let's talk to Dan. Um, you're Dan. You're on WTMJ. Hello. Oh, hi, Dan. Um. I'm just uh, one of my favorite memories, and I can't remember all the pieces because I think my brother knocked me off the turnbuckle. <laughs> um, was uh, one of my favorite ones is when the Crusher—I can't remember who they were—he uh, was wrestling against, but his partner got hurt, so he pulled Scrap Iron Gadaski from underneath the, uh, the <laughs> wrestling ring and brought him out and wrestled with him. And uh, Scrap Iron's one of those uh, one of the spuds. lesser known yeah. spuds that never got any. <laughs> Any, you know, squeak, any real perks, but he was a great wrestler. So. Yeah. And, and I love that, that nickname. Yeah, right. George Scrap Iron Gadaski. I remember he, he would referee, and he, he was one of those guys. I think that he, he was another one that they'd, they'd pay him to, like, set up the ring and stuff like that. Let's see. Um, I remember Dr. X. This is one of the texts. My brother would put me into a figure four leg lock until I would cry uncle. Loved all-star wrestling. Yeah, it was just, it was a different Different, different type of time, and a, and and a fun time, and a simpler time. But I, I think you know, for again, if you are of a certain age, and I understand that you know nowadays it's all the high production level and things like that. But I, I will tell you, if you grew up around here during the '60s and '70s in particular, um, you you remember the old American Wrestling Association, and you you remember all this type of stuff. And um, I, I know the the Crusher's been gone for ten or twelve years, but I, I tell you, if we've like I said, if we've got the bronze fonds, I, I think the Crusher statue will be very very well received wherever they decide to put it. And I hope a hope a lot of the older wrestlers show up as well, just to, to honor the memory of a guy who made. Who made Milwaukee famous? It's two fifty four. When we come back, we're going to find out what John and Melissa and Greg have on their minds for Wisconsin's afternoon news. Stick around. Two fifty four. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ.